starting to appreciate that sound more and more every time yes, you do it. Yes, it, it means good things to come, doesn't That's it? That's right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this fine radio program, podcast, and uh, videocast known as Smoking and Toasting. It's show number 91. We are all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. We are brought to you by B&B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston and in the shops at Clear Fort in Fort Worth. And my notes just went uh, all over the place. So, now we know nothing. Uh, yeah, so uh, so thank you. It's been a great show. Uh, <laughs> remember on, remember on uh, Anchorman when the prompt went away? Yeah, yes, nothing to say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely nothing to say. And that surprises me not at all, by the way. Right. Having uh, worked with some people in, in television, I can tell you this. People in television, they definitely have certain skills. But ad-libbing is generally not one of them. There are exceptions, of course. But uh, anyway, uh, we ad-lib pretty much the whole show here, so I think we'll be all right. And uh, right. Adam uh, got my papers back for me, so I at if least he, have my notes in front of If wrote out my part, I'd have a hard time. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> uh, I, so we mentioned being brought to you by B&B Butchers, uh, and we're at B&B Butchers Live today, which I... Uh, all, I'm, let's just face it. This is one of our favorite places, like in the world. And so we're out on the uh, top level here at B and B, and they've got it really set up. It's nice because it's, although it's already warm in Texas, it's not too warm to be up here and uh, and enjoy a cigar. And that's what we're going to do on today's show. I don't know if Jeremiah will be joining us or not. He's been invited. We'll see uh, if he makes it in, and if he does, he will be welcome. That depends but on how many fires he's got to put out all exactly over the rest right. of this yeah. place. So, speaking of fires, we have uh, already lit our cigars so ian rather than tell me about what you smoked previously this week tell me about what you just lit up there that's a interesting looking cigar i will a, a i will look up more information about this this was actually i was at lone star cigars which is over off of a 249 and vintage park kind of cypress area i think maybe or uh mm-hmm. south of tomball maybe it's klein i can't remember it's one of those little areas right there but anyway uh those guys are really nice over there and i was chatting with one of the guys i said hey what do you have new and and fun and he pointed me out this is one of his favorites he said it's the tabernacle um i will uh look up more information about this as i haven't had time yet but i'll look up for information on this on a break uh but he uh highly recommended this and in this size now this is not a size i usually get a lancero once in a long while but he said that this particular cigar really shines in this particular, in that particular size. size. Right. Interesting. So, well, I, I will say this is not a cigar that has crossed my path until you showed it to me just before we started the show. That's the first time I'd ever actually seen this cigar. And believe me, I comb through humidors pretty meticulously when I go to a <laughs> cigar shop. So even if I'm not buying everything, I'm at least looking at what's there and going, oh, that's something I might try. At some well, point, we had a know? little discussion about it, and he gave me a little history on it, which I'll impart on you uh, probably in the next se- uh, segment when I can look it up and kind of get my uh, name straight on it. That's my problem is I don't remember all the names and time and stuff he said. But um, but this is starting off really nice. It's got a bit of spice. Well, that was the thing he asked me. He says, do you like a spicy cigar? I said, you know what? Sometimes. I do today. So yes. uh, he said, this is a pretty spicy cigar. Um, it's uh, Nicaraguan. Uh, I believe it's Nicaraguan all the way through, so Nicaraguan Puro. Uh, I'll look that up again in, in just a little bit, but it's starting off as a great cigar. I used a punch at first. The punch had it uh, drawing a little too tight, so I went so from the punch the to the, the snap, yeah. right? Which is one of the nice things. When you start with a punch, if it draws great, great. But um, if it's a little too tight, you can always cut the end, and uh, and that opened it right up. So now it's starting off just uh, just nice. Very we'll see nice. how it goes. What are you smoking? Uh, well, this is one, and uh, thank you, by the way, because I took this from your humidor. Uh, but this is the uh, it's the Esteban Carrera, uh, Esteban Carreras, but it's the Chupacabra 
So I was immediately drawn, not only by the box press and the fact that it's a beautiful cigar, but I was immediately drawn by the Chupacabra, by the which Chupacabra. is my favorite urban legend of all time. And I actually believe that Chupacabras exist. But I didn't know it was a legend. Oh, well, yeah. yeah I thought it was just a A Chupacabra thing. has actually never been sighted. But there are farmers who've had their goats killed, and they believe it was by this mystical chupacabra as opposed to just coyotes or wolves because apparently the chupacabras suck the blood from the goats and I, I, I you can correct me on this if your Spanish is better than mine but I believe that the word chupacabra actually means goat sucker I think you're right in Spanish so uh, obviously it doesn't get more interesting in the mystical uh, creature world than the chupacabra now, I would rather cite the chupacabra than the Loch Ness Monster, if it were me. The question is this. Why goat's blood? Does goat's blood have a particular nutrient in it that Chupacabra must I, have? I don't know. Certainly goat milk is a you know very different flavor and a very right, different right. Uh, uh, vibe to it than, uh, than other milk-producing mammals. So you have to mammals, wonder if so. it's a convenience or an environment. Maybe it's size. Maybe they're just the right size for the Possible. mythical Chupacabra to take down. Possible. I don't know. I, I've always wanted to, if I ever owned a sports team, like, if I ever make tons of money and buy the Dallas Cowboys, I'm changing Share their name. Share our posts, by the way. Yeah. That'll help us make yeah. tons of money. And then I'm changing their names. You have my word on this. They'll be the Dallas Chupacabras. <laughs> so, uh, so this is why you want to share our posts, because you want to help make this come true. The Dallas Chupacabras. I Wouldn't love that be it. great? That'd be amazing. Yeah. Welcome to today's match between the Cleveland Browns and the Dallas Chupacabras. Chupacabras. We'll be right back after this word from Budweiser about a beer that they bought from a craft brewer somewhere. Yeah, right. Something like uh, by the way, I wanted you to know, speaking of Budweiser buying beer from craft brewer, um, I, I was uh, doing a little bit of research, and not the kind that you do, uh, which you know involves you know sampling and lighting the cigar and whatever. Uh -huh. But I was doing some research on just different stories for the show, and I ran across an article that excerpted some of the uh, book that we mentioned on a previous show about um, Goose Island. Mm -hmm. uh, the guy that uh, has written, he's a journalist for, I believe, the Chicago Sun-Times, and he uh, is he's their beer coverage person, and he's written a book about Goose Island, which is one of the first major craft breweries to be bought by one of, right. by, by AB InBev, by one of the big guys, and what the process was like, what the missteps were on both Goose Island side and on Budweiser's side, what it did to the brand, what it did to the beer, and how everything sort of, you know, and, and from my understanding and from the excerpts I read, a pretty fair assessment. Like, it's not just a guy taking pot shots at big beer and saying, you know, craft beer is the only uh, thing that's good, but also acknowledging that, you know, Budweiser didn't get into this because they thought, hey, this beer's really good. They got into it because they saw the trend coming money -making uh, process, uh, and, right? and got into it to, to make money. So uh, anyway, the um, the uh, book excerpts that I read were absolutely like I was I was riveted. So I immediately went and bought the book for my Kindle. So ah. I will be uh, trying to enjoy that book across the summer. We'll see how much uh, free reading time I get. But as I read it, I'll maybe, you know, Tell you some of the things that I'm I may have to discovering from that it. Myself. it looks can, really, like really good. Discussion. Yes, yes, and I awesome. apologize. I'm not remembering the name of the book off the top of my head, but I will uh, get it in the break and tell you in the next segment. So, uh, but it is uh, it's something about um, 
barrel-aged and something. Uh, but anyway, I'll, I'll get to that. We're going to do some great tasting on the show today. Uh, we are going to be tasting uh, what I believe to be a new beer out of Sierra Nevada. Uh, it's the Otra Vez. It's an ale brewed with lime and agave. It might not be new. Uh, it might just be a seasonal, but it has reappeared on shelves where I've been shopping. Might be a seasonal. Yeah. I think I think I've seen that before. I don't think I've ever tried that yes, one. Yes, and I haven't either. Generally speaking, I'm not real fond of most of those lighter beers that try to incorporate a spirit like the tequila beers. I'm not crazy about uh, some of the different ones. Bourbon barrel aging is a different thing. But uh, anyway, this one looks interesting, and Sierra Nevada has never steered me wrong. Those guys know what they're doing. I have an update on your previous uh, discussion. It's called... Yeah. Barrel Age Stout and Selling Out. Thank you. And um, the uh, author's name, I don't remember off the top of my head, but we'll get that for you. Barrel uh, Age Stout and Selling Out. Barrel Age Stout and Selling Out. I'll that's, tell you, if the whole book is as good as the excerpts I read, if the whole book is as good as the excerpts that I read, I'm going to love this read. So the full title, it says Josh Noel is the author. Josh Noel. Barrel Age Stout and Selling Out, Goose Island, Anheuser-Busch, and How Craft Beer Became Big Business. All right. So... Right now, I mean, I, I was interested from the very beginning, but it was after reading a few of the segments and, and reading a, a little bit of a review of the book itself that I was like, I, I am so reading this. This is not going to be dry. It's going to be a very interesting story. I'm going to take your uh, word on that and download that as soon uh, as the so. uh, show's over today. So Sierra Nevada Otrevez, ale uh, brewed with lime and agave is something we'll be trying on the show. Uh, Buffalo Bio's Crush City IPA, that one is new. Uh it's a brand new IPA from the Buffalo Bayou folks. And Young's Double Chocolate Stout. Oh, I know that one. Yeah, I had a feeling this was uh, <laughs> something new for you. But we've never reviewed it on the oh, show. You know, so. we need to uh, talk to Buffalo Bayou and get them on a show because they have um, they have quite a few offerings that are pretty good. But my favorite from them is the 1836. Oh, my God, It's called God, Copper yes. Ale. They just that kind of invented this as far as yes. I know. And, and it's delicious. That beer has... The most wonderful chocolate notes to it on the finish, and it's just—and it's, it's not a lighter a, beer. Right. It's not it's like a, a chocolate beer or a stout that right. you would expect. It's more of like on the finish, there's just this very light chocolate. Oh, it's it's so good. It's that's uh-huh. a delicious beer. That's a go-to. Um, we have had that in kegs. We've had that in cans and everything else. They're delicious. Plus, we'll be trying a. Uh, a, a a whiskey from the uh, menu here at B and B, so we're excited about uh, we're excited about that. You know, Jeremiah does such a great job curating their whiskey list. So, and he's uh, not here, but we have a, a, a our man taking care of us today. His name is Rico, and he actually has um, recommended the one yes, we're going to try. Today. By the way, Jeremiah just texted and said. You guys get set up okay. I'll be there shortly. So we will be looking forward to Jeremiah uh, joining us on the show because it's always more fun when he's here. Plus, you never know what whiskey he might suggest to There's try. that too. Yeah. So, all right. So we have all that to look forward to. Plus, the story of the uh, graduating seniors at a high school in Saugus, Massachusetts that are on their championship lacrosse team that will not get to play in the postseason playoffs because they lit up a cigar after graduation. After graduation. Yep, we'll tell you that and why that's ridiculous. Uh, plus, Gurk is raising their prices. Uh, Pete Coors is speaking out about uh, the whole craft versus big beer uh, argument. And 
Beer sales are up. We'll be back to tell you all about it, and I'll tell you a little more about the Chupacabra uh, coming up. It's Smoking and Toasting, show number 91. Welcome back. It's Smoking and Toasting. My name is Cruz. My partner is Ian Barry. This is the program that's all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. It's show number 91. By the way, I didn't tell you the uh, the title of the show today, uh, although if you're um, if you're watching this on YouTube or listening to it as a podcast, you've probably seen this already. Drum but roll. Title of the show today is "Putting Whiskey in Our Armpits," and I will I tell you that. why that's uh, why that's interesting coming up. Plus, because it's like cologne. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's I mean, who does it? You know, a little this, a little this. You know. No, I swear, officer, I have not been drinking. That's my cologne. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, beer sales are up. We can tell you about that coming up here in just a, a few moments. And uh, Jeremiah Butler. B and B will be joining us a little while on the show, or at least that's what his text says. So we're looking forward to that. Um, so, update. Yes, the Tabernacle Cigar. Um, this thing has. So I'm about an inch into it at this point in time. It doesn't look like it because it's such a long cigar in the first place. But up uh, about an inch into it, the spice has maintained, but it's got this beautiful chocolatey uh, and espresso kind of deliciousness to it going on. I'm liking it already. Right. I'm wishing I would have chosen that one now. Oh, no, I'm loving the Chupacabra. Don't get me wrong. It's not a giant silky smoke, but it's a good, solid mouthfeel kind of smoke. It's nice. Um, So I looked it up. This is a Nicholas uh, Melio. Melilio. That's easy for you to say. Right? I know I'm slaughtering that. Sorry. Uh, founder of uh, of Foundation Cigar Company has gone Old Testament with his new cigar line. I'm reading this off of Cigar Aficionado, so we can thank them for the words here. Um, the Tabernacle, which encompasses themes of King Solomon and the legendary Ark of the Covenant. Let's see. Tabernacle is a dark Connecticut broadleaf uh, made in Nicaragua. Guess where? At A.J. Fernandez. So no wonder you're getting the chocolate and the, uh, uh, the leather there. <laughs> well... So AJ is just everywhere, Ian. The man is, like, ubiquitous at this point. Ah, so I was wrong about the uh, 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 Nicaraguan. Right. Under the broadleaf wrapper is a Mexican San Andreas binder and filler tobaccos from Honduras and Nicaragua. This thing's all over the place, but it's delicious. Wow. Um, so this uh, Lancero, I haven't tried any of the other ones, but this Lancero version of it is just a delicious cigar. How and powerful is it? Would you? This is, I would definitely put it at the bigger side of medium, okay. like already. But it's not, it's not harsh. It's got spice, but it's not too, uh, too brutal. It's not killing my tongue. I don't get that tongue bite, you know, sometimes you mm-hmm. get on the front of it. Um, but I do realize that I'm generally smoking a much bigger ring gauge, so I have to be careful not to hot box this cigar right. as a Lancero will get bitter pretty quick if you smoke it too hot. Now, I am getting a little tongue tingle off of the Chupacabra, but then again, it is called the Chupacabra. So you kind of have an expectation that there's going to be some power here. It's sucking the soul out of your tongue. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's quite good. It's, it's pretty powerful, but very complex so far. I'm getting... Um, I'm getting accustomed to the flavors. I'll try to give you a little more detail I, on I'm that. I'm not going to lie. Go. That one was not recommended. That one I just picked up because it looked awesome. And guess what it said? Chupacabra. Chupacabra. And the size was called Hellcat. Well, you know, there's there's things to like all <laughs> over the place on this. Plus, I have had a number of the other 
uh, sizes and iterations of the Esteban Carrera, Carreras. That's the Carreras, and, yeah. And, the name is always it, good. It's very good, yeah. Uh, they, I've always said. And these are cigars that, interestingly enough, are not overpriced. They You you see them in the humidor, you go, oh, I bet that's an $18 cigar. And then you find out, no, it's 8 or 9 You know, No, uh, I think I spent $9 on that cigar, yeah. maybe 8 And um, None of the cigars I bought yesterday were particularly expensive. The one that I'm smoking now, I believe, is in the uh, $11 range. Hmm. And... Um, if I was going to make a judgment call right now, I'd say I'm enjoying it $11 worth. Show that to the camera. Uh, good. That is just a beautiful cigar. It really is. Look it how really dark the is, wrapper yes. is. It's not a particularly oily wrapper, but it is a very toothy wrapper. It's a very leathery wrapper. Um, and that's another thing. Like Sometimes you pick up a, uh, a cigar. I almost said guitar because that's what else I do. Um, <laughs> sometimes you pick up. Sometimes you pick up both. Sometimes I do actually pick up both. Um, but sometimes you pick up a cigar and you feel that construction. You go, that just feels like a well-made cigar and it gives you kind of that warm fuzzy and you go home and burn it yeah yeah um i'm 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 enjoying this i will say when i first clipped it it peeled a little around the uh, head uh which is kind of a pet peeve of mine that had a little pigtail on it too right it did settle down i was able to kind of get it in place and it's not flaking further so um Enjoying it so far. I'll give you more details on yeah, the flavor. Sometimes just dampening the end a little bit, mm-hmm. it'll stick down and it doesn't become an issue. It's amazing what spit can do. Right. <laughs> I will tell you, uh, if I get a cigar that, that cracks and I can smoke it after it gets a little damp, it's fine. But if I have to put my finger over like a crack or a hole oh, to no, make that it smoke, makes me crazy. Yep, yep, I'm done, done with it. Done. That cigar's done. gone. Uh, do, does that change for you if the cigar costs more? In other words, are you less? Li- are you more likely to stay with <laughs> a, more a frustrating out, yeah. twelve dollars cigar yeah. than a five or six? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But a five the twelve dollars cigar, cigar I wouldn't even think about. It. I'd be done. Yeah. You know, like I'm not going to mess with that. But the, the twelve dollars cigar, like, it hopefully would be less likely <laughs> to have that happen. But but it. it it could it happen. Happen. It could Plus, happen. You know, they can be abused too. I've had cigars that that have been a little abused, or um, maybe they weren't uh, humidified exactly right, mm-hmm. or maybe my humidifier wasn't exactly right for a few days. You know, these things happen. But um, most of the time, I found if you get cigars that look like they've been abused a little bit, you can leave them in your humidor. And I have uh, four drawers in my humidor, so the bottom drawer is the closest to the humidifying elements, which sit under the drawer. So I'll take cigars uh, that look like, if, if I get some that look like they've been abused a little bit, a little beat up, mm-hmm. and I'll start them in the top drawer, and then every couple of weeks I'll move them down a drawer until so they're the closest, them down to the, the closest to the humidification. Humidification. Yeah. Usually they smoke pretty well. I mean, I mm-hmm. smoked, a, uh, I smoked a, a Cuban that was just torn up. Really? Um, I mean, it looked terrible. It looked like something you'd just go ahead and throw out and it smoked just fine. Like it wow. stayed together. It looked awful. Speaking of cigars that kind of fall apart on you, Gurkha is raising their prices. Now, have you had a Gurkha recently? Uh, I tell you what, the last Gurkha that I had, because I almost swore them off at one point, but the last Gurkha that I had was that little guy, uh, the one, the, the Chairman's Reserve, Reserve. Uh, Cellar Reserve. Yeah. And it was fantastic. Was and cigar. I actually uh, had gotten one of those. Uh, a friend of ours uh, that we met gave us one of those, if you recall, when we were out at Presidential yeah, Cigars. Yeah. And I actually bought uh, like a half box of them at one point and enjoyed them all. So those were good. But the uh, man, some of the Gurkhas I've had have just had I've the flavor is great. It's construction has been. I've the had issue. the same issue, but I want to I want to challenge us on this. Okay. Okay. Here's, here's a here's the Gurkha challenge. Okay? Fair enough. And let's try and do this before the prices are raised. Okay. <laughs> to get a couple of their old school offerings, right? And try them and see if they because. 
Because I used to love Gurkhas. Well, the flavor of Gurkhas so are fantastic. Yeah, and they're yeah. never like big, full-flavored cigars. Usually they're medium or mild. But they're good flavored cigars. But then their construction, this was a few years back especially, their construction just went downhill. Yes. And they all fell apart on me. So and they were making so many different iterations of so cigar, too. So many flavors, it's hard yeah. to keep up with. Mm-hmm. But I see them everywhere, and they're popular. So i got to wonder, okay, if we try a few of those old uh, Gurkha standbys, maybe their quality controls come back up. I haven't given them that chance yet, but I think like after today I may do that. Here's what I'm thinking. Perhaps you and I should get together. Have something good to drink, and uh, you know, enjoy uh, uh, tr- a, a little Gurkha challenge. This sounds like a research opportunity. It that does, would be hard and to research pass up. is so important to this show. It is very important. It re- to yeah, this show. it really is. So uh, we so research Gurkha. so that you don't have to. Although we do encourage you to. Yeah, <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, <laughs> speaking of uh, encouragement, by the way. I love that sound. Yes, that yes. is a beautiful. It's time to crack open the Sierra the Nevada Ultra Vez. I love which the, is the, I love uh, the can. Yeah, it really is. You can see the lime and agave, and that's exactly uh, what it is. Brewed with lime and agave. I don't know if that's close enough to the camera for you to be able to uh, to see it, but I'm going to ask uh, Adam to do the pour for me. Um, it's a uh, it, it's it's certainly a seasonal. If it's not brand new, it's a seasonal, and just one that I have. Not had the uh, pleasure of trying before. So I think on that we'll can they goes. managed to capture both the Sierra Nevada can look, which is very distinctive. Yes, absolutely. They captured the Sierra Nevada can look, but they also captured the Mexican style lager right. beer look uh-huh. too. Absolutely. absolutely, which is which is kind of an interesting, That's kind thing of a tricky grab. thing to do both. You know? they, no, absolutely, you're absolutely <laughs> and blend correct. those two things. So kudos to their artist on that one. Yeah, well, you know, Sierra Nevada. I feel like gets it right more often than than not. I mean, I just feel like these are these are guys that have a. Uh, now, didn't we have an IPA from them not too long ago? Uh, yes, we did. We uh, that was we delicious. En- we enjoyed it very, very much. And you know, I love um, their sidecar. Uh, we we had a uh, get together at the house the other day, and uh, Adam had brought one of those little mix packs and had had a sidecar in it. The sidecar is the one with the orange in it. It's the Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. With orange and it's delicious. We've nice. had that on the show before as well. So, the uh, so, but this is the Ultra Vez. I think a very different style because Sierra Nevada has a tendency to stay in the pale ale IPA uh, range with a, a few extra excursions here and there from time to time. So I think this is going to be a little different, or I'm expecting this, it to be. Just, just put that on your nose. This wow. smells like delicious limeade. It really does. It's limeier like smell uh, smelling than I would have expected. And yes. lime, like both together, and it smells delicious. Like wow, in that really I've got to tell way. you, I really like this. And I'm going to be honest. Although I will always give Sierra Nevada the benefit of the doubt, I wasn't too. I did not have the bar set too high for this for me because I just haven't had a lot of uh, beers where they've used agave or tequila flavorings. And felt like it was two tastes that went well together. <laughs> Even though I love to have a beer on the side when I'm sipping a fine tequila, I do like that pairing. But something about having them together in the beer did not work for me. This, however, works and it's refreshing. I, I think it's. I, I wanna, think it's. Delicious. I want to point out a couple things because my thoughts are kind of all over the place on this. First off, it smells great. Yes. Um, I mean, it smells like. I mean, it just smells delicious. It smells like dessert, you know, uh, mm-hmm. in a good way. Not an overly sweet way, but in a good way. 
This has a little bit of that um, lime bitterness over uh, overall, that sour lime. Yes, it does. It's it's more citrusy than I was expecting. And I really, my initial thought was I don't really like it that much. Um, my second thought on this was, okay, I could probably get used to it. It's not bad. But the minute you said with a tequila, I bet this. With a tequila. With a with a fine tequila, mm-hmm. yes, a good sipping tequila, like as a as a back, you know. I don't know. Do you know amazing. anyone who might have some of those? And you know, so I have collection? this friend of mine that has <laughs> quite a few tequilas in his collection, including this one Skelly mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that uh, he keeps around. Yes, I think we had that on the show. <laughs> I believe we did. Yes, <laughs> and we'll do it again. But I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet my opinion on this would change drastically depending on what it's paired with. Also, now that I'm thinking about it, well. Again, just by itself, and maybe with the cigar, which has some espresso notes and stuff, which mm-hmm. espresso and lime are not flavors not you necessarily put together. Not necessarily a combo. But, uh, so that might be influencing as well. But I bet with a, a key lime pie. It's got or, flavors of key lime pie. Or with uh, uh, shrimp tacos. Mm. Like, that's what this is making me you feel like. You're speaking needs, my language, This my really needs something to pair with, and I think it would be pretty amazing. Well, I, I really, you know, I'd say I had the opposite, uh, but but again, my expectations weren't real high for this because I've not liked agave-flavored beers much in the past. And I will tell you that this, right off the bat, I loved the flavor. I loved the lime fizziness of it. Like, you <laughs> you described it uh, on the nose as yeah. being kind of like a limeade. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's... You get a little of that, uh, a little of that vibe. It's quite good. I, I, I think it's quite good. And this would be a perfect summer sessionable around the pool beer for me. Yeah, I agree. All right. This this needs uh, this needs some kind of dry baked good with it too. Mm-hmm. You know, like like a wedding cookie. I don't even like wedding cookies because they're too dry. But that seems wonder, like it would go well with I wonder that. Wonder how this would go with uh, Chef Tommy's bacon here at B and B. We might have to. F- we might have to explore that. <laughs> Research coming right up. Yes, sir. You are listening to Smoking and Toasting. We are in one of our favorite spots in the world. We're at B&B Butchers and Restaurant uh, in uh, Houston and Washington Ave. Uh, so beer sales are up, plus people are putting whiskey in their armpits. And I'll tell you why and how and why it might actually work. All coming up, plus more tasting is on the way, and Jeremiah Butler from B&B will be joining us. Uh, you are listening to Smoking and Toasting. Welcome back, my friends. Smoking and Toasting is live at B&B Butchers and Restaurant. We're at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston, and uh, B&B is also located in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth, and we will be headed there sometime very soon, I promise. Also very soon, Jeremiah Butler should be joining us on the show. I think he's on his way in. So uh, this is early for him because he works... You know, he's here till yeah, late. He late. So, yep. Yeah, so, uh, so so we're catching him in his morning ritual. Now, uh, yeah. <laughs> now, I thought I'd give you a little bit of an update on the Esteban Carreras um, uh, Chupacabra. This cigar, uh, I think, started out for me uh, a little bit peppery on the tongue, which I don't dislike, but it was a little more one-dimensional. As I've hit what's you know approaching the halfway point. This thing is blossoming beautifully. Nice. The flavors are really coming alive in this. I'm getting notes of uh, of. Le- I always feel like it sounds so like snobby to go. I'm getting notes of leather and uh, and seedlings, uh, but uh, it, it's kind of a nutty, toasty flavor that uh, has just a little bit of leather and maybe just a hint of like 
don't know if it's cinnamon. There's a spice in there. I'm not mm-hmm. able to put my uh, my uh, my finger on, but it's not a uh, it's not a pepper spice. It's more of a different sort of savory no, but spice. No, that might even it. explain that bite on the tongue you were getting mm-hmm. a little earlier. Yes. because cinnamon will give you that uh, little bit of a bite. That cinnamon's pretty hot on its own. I will tell you also one of the uh, things that I was doing when I wasn't getting uh, a lot of complexity at first. One of the things I do, and you have to be careful doing this, and I'm probably just weird that I do this, but sometimes if I'm not are, are really mutually excused, no, no, not statements? at all, not okay. at all. Uh, one of the things I will do sometimes if I'm if I feel like I'm not really able to pull the flavors out of the cigar that I'm thinking may be there is I will actually just let it burn, kind of under my nose a little bit, and just inhale the smoke. Not inhale, but smell. The aroma of the smoke that's coming off the cigar. You ever walk into a room? That would be someone, experiencing the room notes. Okay, sir. yeah. Uh, you ever walk into a room? Somebody else is smoking a cigar. You're like, man, that yeah, cigar smells yeah, amazing. Yeah. And sometimes I'll get a little of that, and then it feels like I'm better able to detect those flavors. It's almost a, when I'm uh, actually smoking uh, uh, a third person perspective. Yeah, but you said what? Experiencing the room experiencing notes. Experiencing the room it. note. Is that is, was that just you making that up in your head, or is that a thing? Well, room note is is the term. Room note's a thing, sure. Right, that's the term we use to to talk about how it smells when you're not the one smoking it. Because when you're smoking it, you know you get a different flavor experience. Of course, yes. And sometimes being able to step away from that flavor experience and experience the room note of the cigar gives you another perspective you'll pick up different notes so i think what you're actually doing there is you're experiencing the room note and letting that help influence the overall flavor yes and i think that's not too far different from like when we smell whiskey or beer we kind of have our mouth open and we draw in from our nose and our mouth to experience those flavors like that i think it helps you learn and understand more and more of the flavors and more complexity in the cigar it's itself. also a little bit different but similar to the retro hail you know where right. you're getting retro a hail, different, you get different yeah, notes yeah, too. Right, right. exactly now so. retro hail with cigars can be a little tough so you want to be you know <laughs> careful yes. you want to be careful with that because when you're blowing cigar smoke out out of your nose especially if you have a pretty strong cigar man that can make your uh, nose burn it, it's not so if, if you're on your First, second, third cigar. Don't try the retro hail. You need to be a little more experienced, I think, at, at doing right. That. And and even some of the great cigars that we've had on the show don't retro hail very nicely, but some That's cigars right. do. It just depends on the smoke. You're right. You're so I think right. it, it really uh, really does. This cigar um, is building in intensity, but it's not building in spice really. Interesting. Uh, the the flavor so is definitely now, in the full but side. Not, uh, but not necessarily um, spicier. The smoke itself has gotten more interesting. It's developed a lot. Uh, you you uh, said notes of leather. I'm getting that definitely, but I also get some uh, maybe some almost like oak or um, some woody kind of notes in there that I'm really enjoying. There's no nuttiness to this, um, but definitely a wood kind of you know dry finish. Like when you have a really good dry wine, you get that nice, uh, right? Uh huh. That dry finish, the sort on of the dryness end. on the end. Yes. Yeah, it has a little bit of that. I'm really kind of enjoying this. Well, experience. I am enjoying this more and more. In fact, I'm probably smoking it too fast now because I'll be done with it before the show is over. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, beer is up, but there's trouble in tequila land. Tell me uh, about I trouble will, in tequila land. I will. Yeah, no, this is not a good thing. But let's start with the good news. U.S. beer sales in dollars increased 4.1 percent. And volume sales 
uh, increased 2.1% through the four weeks ending on the 20th of May. That's according to IRI Worldwide, which is a market-based research firm that tracks these type of things. Um, Increased dollar sales in several segments, including cider, imports, domestic super premiums, flavored malt beverages, and non-alcoholic beverages. Uh, were, were Those were all up in a big way. Now, I'm not going to like totally like dump a bunch of numbers on you, but there are a few here that are interesting. Total U.S. dollar sales up 1.7% to about $12.3 billion through the first 20 weeks of the year. Nice. And uh, Boston Beer Company, uh, we talked about this uh I think on last week's show, continues to rebound. Dollar sales have increased 16.5% for the Sam Adams company. Um, interestingly, the Samuel Adams seasonal beer and the Sam Adams 76 are the things that are driving this on the beer side. Part of what's driving this is uh, is their Twisted Tea and Angry Orchard. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. That stuff is doing very well. But Sam 76 is a big hit, and their seasonal stuff is up 33% year over year. Nice. So Sam Adams definitely doing uh, some things right. Sierra Nevada, uh, we just tried one of their beers in the, first, in the last segment. They've posted positive sales numbers so far. But what's interesting about them is that their flagship pale ale, which is one of my all-time go-tos. That's a good beer. It's actually down... 4.9%. The Torpedo Extra IPA, which they've had for quite a while, mm-hmm. is down 8.2%. But their latest seasonal release, 35.7% increase. What I think is wow. interesting that's happening, and you see this reflected a little, because even though the Sam Adams numbers are up, Sam Adams Boston Lager, which is their flagship brand, those numbers are down. What I think is beginning to happen is that as people are exploring craft beer, and they're trying all these new things. People are cycling back around to maybe they've been drinking Sam Adams Boston Lager or Sierra Nevada Pale Ale for years, and because it was at, at one, one point might have been ones. only the really yeah. the only really good thing that you could find, right? So now you've branched out. You're trying all these other things, and then you cycle back around because you go, "Oh, Sam Adams has a Sam Seventy Six. I got to try this." Or uh, Sierra Nevada, look at this seasonal. This looks great. I'm going to try this, and you try it. You like it. You buy more. I think I think it's getting harder for the larger craft brew companies to maintain sales in on their core. The one that started it all. For well, so them, you I know? think I think what really happens with that though is, um, say for instance, uh, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. We all know that one. We right. all had that. You've probably had that. Um, uh, even if you're not much of a craft beer drinker, you've probably tried it at some point in time. Uh, it's such an industry standard. Same with the Sam Adams Boston Lager. Same with uh, quite a few brands like that in Houston. Here it's Shiner. Um, uh, you know, in Texas, generally it's Shiner, and uh, even on the local side, uh, uh, St. Arnold. You know, I don't, sure. I don't go buy their Amber Ale. Right, but that I was the first St. Arnold right. that blew our minds. You know, and I buy every one of their seasonals. But I think what ends up happening, like, uh, we go through a process where, like, we find a, an offering like that, and before there wasn't that many, and we really are loyal to it. You know, um, right? I drank a lot of Shiner because. You know, frankly, as a musician, you go into any uh, bar regionally, they always have Shiner. It's always on tap, and the bartenders are always kind to a musician drinking tap beers. Right. <laughs> and that's a good beer. So, like, the, all those things really made it, like, a go-to for me. Um, so what happened is because I enjoyed it so much then, 
I see it on the shelf and I go, oh, I like that, but I want to try this. Right, and, exactly. And so we end up Doesn't mean you wouldn't love it if you bought it. Right, yeah. we end up wanting to try different flavors instead of the known thing we're willing to push out a little bit. I think that uh, the seasonal explosion, like people are catching on to the seasonal thing. That's been going off for years, but I think people are really catching on to it. Oh, I'm going to try this summer beer. I'm going right. to try the I like Christmas this beer, beer from them, so they have this seasonal. Let's see what this tastes like. And not mm-hmm. every seasonal is a total winner, but I'll almost always give them a try. Sure. And what's funny, like I mentioned St. Arnold's earlier, I hardly, I very rarely go buy their uh, Amber Ale, which is their flagship, and you can find it most places. However... There's not a seasonal that goes by that I won't buy and try from That's them. That's right. And, and it's because I love a lot of their different flavors that they're willing to do. I love the exploration of it. Um, so I think Sam Adams went through a lot of that, too. They had a core line for a long time. And then they have uh, they had just that for a long time. And then every once in a while they'd have a seasonal. But now they're starting to go, okay, we're branching out. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to point out, too, that... Um, the ciders and stuff like they have the twisted tea and all these other alternative angry orchards uh, right yeah. uh, what are they what, what were they called um, ready to drink uh, mm-hmm. cocktails mm-hmm. yes because we had some of those on the show the other day by the mm-hmm. way those bloody marys oh yes man those were so good anyway the spicy ones were amazing but um, I think people are going, okay, we can get other quality drinks in a can. We had Austin East Ciders on here, and I will tell you, I have put a dent in Austin East Ciders <laughs> in town because... Their cider what, is terrific. I'm not... I didn't think I was a big cider fan because cider's always way too sweet, way too thick, way too sticky, and Austin East Ciders comes out adding no sugar and just... It's dry, it's crisp, it's delicious. It's still a little sweet because of cider, but it has all that dryness to it. So my flavor profiles have changed a little bit too, mm-hmm. you know. And their cider is really more for people who like beer. Yeah, well, but, the but hop one cider, cider is amazing. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> like, that fantastic. stuff is uh, outrageous. Now I tried. They have a blood orange cider, and uh, and I'll go ahead and tout uh, Austin East Ciders on this. They have a blood orange cider that I can't buy. It's way too easy to drink. <laughs> I mean, it goes down. Yes. Way too fast. There's, uh, it's, yeah, it's unbelievable. Yes. It's, it's ridiculous. It's very good. A couple other quick things I want to share with you from this uh, article about growth, because I think you'll find this interesting, Ian. Uh, dollar sales for several craft beer companies have grown by double digits in 2018, including Founders, 48.7% in Good for them. I love their brewery. Bell's Brewery, 10.1%. Firestone Walker, 14.2%. And Dogfish Head at 17.7. Uh, year-to-date sales of several top craft offerings are also growing by double digits, including Founders All-Day IPA, mm. up 52.3% this year. <laughs> Firestone Walker, 805. Remember, we had this in California, and you and I have just recently I, discovered I that like it's available here. I we're actually the reason. Yes. <laughs> that the Firestone Walker... 20.8% increase. That's amazing. Bell's Two-Hearted so Ale, 17%. And, and that that has to be attributed uh, on Bell's, especially. Not only is that a great beer, by the way, wonderful pairing. Bell's Two-Hearted Ale and Basil Hayden Rye. Like oh, Those yes. two things go together like it's amazing. And uh, another beer that we've had on the show, and again, 
Maybe it was because of our rave review that sales are up so much. That plus the yeah. fact that they uh, now have bigger distribution mm-hmm. probably has something to do. It was probably us actually. And Cigar City High Lie IPA up sixty six point eight percent. We just reviewed that one, so, so that one's definitely yeah. due to us. Yeah, that I, I think that's definitely it. <laughs> and you notice, by the way, how much busier B and B Butchers is since we started doing our show here every once in a while, mm-hmm. and since they started as a sponsor. I'm just saying. That's pretty you know, amazing. I'm just saying. Thank now, you for your support. Now, tequila is not doing, uh, well, the news is not as good for tequila. And it's because of something that's happening, actually, with farming all over the place. Corn has become such a huge and uh, profitable crop that some farmers are switching from more difficult to grow or more time-consuming to grow crops to corn. And it's beginning to happen in Mexico as they're abandoning the slow-growing agave plants on many farms to cash in on corn, beans, and other food crops, all of which have become much more valuable over the past several years. Martin Sanchez, who's the Director of Agriculture for Mexico's Tequila Regulatory Council, uh, says that white corn in Mexico is selling at its highest in at least a decade, and agave is selling for as little as two cents. So... Is that only for a uh, food crop, or is it because corn is also used as a fuel? Well, it's all of those things. All of those yeah, things, It's right. all of those things. Uh, so uh, it's a, uh, they're predicting, and we've been hearing this for a while, they're predicting that there uh, are going to um, be shortages of tequila in our future because of a number of factors, but including that. That so, makes me sad. That makes me very sad, and it makes me want to go and buy more tequila after the show and start hoarding because it the logical and progression it at my is house. Somebody's going to go, hey, we need to go. Oh, look who I see coming in. Yes. Somebody's going to go, hey, we need to grow more agave plants, and then they're going to start doing that, but they're going to charge more. Yes, exactly right. Which so, is going to drive tequila prices up. Yes, and we don't want tequila prices Stop to go up. Madness. We do, however... Want the man, the beer. myth, the legend. <laughs> Jeremiah has joined us on the show. You got here just in time. That is yours, yes. Uh, you got here just in time to taste some uh, Buffalo Bayou Crush City IPA, the brand well, new one. Let me go grab a glass. So, uh, actually, we've got some cups here. Perfect, uh, perfect. So I'm going to pass that to Adam and let him do the pours for the moment. So uh, thank you, sir. Uh, so, yeah, we've been talking about a number of things uh, on the show, but we saved this for you. The title of today's show is... Uh, putting whiskey in our armpits. Outstanding. Well, mine usually gets there by sweating it out yeah. on a day like today. <laughs> it's not. It's on its way out, not yeah, on yeah, its I'm way in. Give me about five minutes. I just <laughs> got out of here. And you're in a jacket too, because yeah, you're well, that'll probably ready come for work. Out momentarily. So. Yeah. All right. Very good. Well, we're gonna uh, we're gonna be trying some of this Crush City IPA from Buffalo Bayou, and these guys make some. We were talking earlier uh, about how much we love. Their uh, uh, 18, 1836, do I get the year right? 18, 1836, 1836 Copper Ale. How fantastic that they have some is. some great releases. That, uh, that Uncommon Cowboy uh, Steam, the steam beer they make yes. is yes. fantastic. You, you had that here for a while. It was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, was a fa- that is a fantastic beer. I wonder, I wonder, can you buy I haven't seen Uncommon Cowboy uh, in stores. Do you I don't know believe it, I it was I only on tap. Yeah, I believe it's a draft-only yeah. release. Wow. Well, we uh, so they don't make a lot of it. We made uh, we made good use of it every time we've uh, uh, come to visit Man, you here. That is that is for sure. Yeah, I definitely well, this, tried to put a dent in. This it. is an interesting IPA. It comes in at uh, I think seven uh, percent ABV, and uh, this is a brand new offering from the folks at Buffalo Bio, who've gotten more and more adventurous. I think in their brewing of late. 
Mm. Shocking, you guys got bacon. Yes. Well, you know, we talked about it on the show so often and realized that we'd never actually had it on the show and talked about the flavors while we were uh, while we were on, on the show. So Now, yeah. I want to point out, it usually looks a little prettier than this just yeah. due to the fact that it's not usually chopped up into pieces. Yeah, I believe this was for ease of consumption. Yeah, we had exactly. it chopped up we into pieces, to so we that, didn't look so. totally awkward doing that on the show. Um, let me uh, jump right in on Crest City IPA. Big time citrus. Super citrus. Wow. And I, I'm a fan of the citrusy IPAs. I feel like it keep, helps to tap down the bitter a little bit. You still get to enjoy the bitter, but the citrus helps offset it a little bit. I, I, I don't know. Citrus. This has a lot of bitter, but I like the bitter. Mm-hmm. That's a clean bitter. It's, mm-hmm. it's a very clean, fresh I, bitter. I feel like the citrus also helps this, in spite of the bitter, be. Uh, it feels more sessionable than yes. some IPAs. Like, I'm not going to start getting that... Right, quick, right, you know, and at seven percent, you wouldn't necessarily expect it to be sessionable, but it, but but it could be. Well, it's certainly uh, not with an good. attitude like that, Cruz. <laughs> hey, I'm not saying it can't be done, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I j- sometimes we just Thank need a so challenge, much. so uh, a challenge can be an important thing to have Ooh, in your life. The yeah. Zycar. Yeah, that's that's Ian's very cool Zycar lighter. So. Uh, uh, well, thank you, sir. If you put your plate over here, I will put bacon I w- on I your will plate. Do that. You so have impeccable taste, sir. Uh, oh. uh, <laughs> thoughts nice. on your thoughts on your Crush City uh, uh, research, Ian? Um, well, like I said moments ago, uh, it's got a big bitterness to it, uh, but I, I like the bitter. This is a bitter um, that that can be described as very palatable bitterness, and it, though it has a bitter aftertaste, it doesn't leave you with that, like you said, that. That uh, uh, dry mouth kind of feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't leave you with that. It leaves you right. with a clean bitterness. It doesn't leave you with that right. pine cone vibe. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I will say, I think the Buffalo Bayou people probably were a little disappointed in their timing uh, because I actually saw this for the first time on shelves the day after the Rockets got eliminated from uh, the playoffs. Oh. So I was bummed Aww. by that because obviously Crest City is uh, you know one of the many... Uh, terms that's been used to describe the uh, uh, the progress of our very awesome basketball team. So I'm also right. noticing. Yes. While this has a very uh, hop up front and bitter aftertaste, it also has a malt in the middle kind of thing mm-hmm. going on. It does malt in the which middle, which is just fantastic. Which was one of my favorite rap songs. You remember that malt, malt in the middle? In the middle. <laughs> yeah. It's Wasn't in the middle. Rapper? It's in the middle. <laughs> uh, all right, we're gonna take a quick break and enjoy some bacon. We'll talk about it when mm. we come back. And we got to talk whiskey. So we had an idea of where we thought we'd be going, but now that Jeremiah is here, we may defer to the expert. So uh, uh, we'll uh, we'll be right back. You are listening to and viewing smoking and toasting. This bacon is so good. <laughs> how is uh, how is Fort Worth doing? Uh, Very is well. It coming along, yeah. Very well, actually. Just, uh, we were just the official food sponsor for the Fort Worth Invitational Golf Tournament last week. Nice. nice. Um, so that was a really cool thing. Um, and then uh, we just did a big Paper City party yesterday for Paper City Magazine. Right. I'm not exactly sure what that one was about. I just buy booze, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes if you just throw booze at it. Yes. I, I Hey, if that doesn't work, I throw more booze at it. <laughs> <laughs> and then if that doesn't so work, I know, throw booze at me. If, if me and you ever have a problem, that will resolve it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I might I'm actually think, create issues. Uh, I was going to say, I, don't think I may have a problem <laughs> just so with we can make right up. That works in so many I have a different areas that's of life. So bad, it's, it, yes. it can only be resolved with like Balvini forty year. Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, well, Erica Fuke uh, is a woman that was experimenting with different ways to control 
uh, underarm odor and sweating. So she started putting hand sanitizer under her arms in addition to deodorant and uh, found that for her that seemed to work. And then she and her husband Jason started talking about it and came up with the idea, well, you know what would be better than hand sanitizer? Whiskey. It's so pit, definitely more delicious than hand sanitizer. Pit liquor was born. Uh, pit liquor. Her, her husband spent uh, months reading medical papers and textbooks to find the right mix of alcohol and <laughs> natural antimicrobial <laughs> products you to make the best pit deodorant. liquor. That's what the name is of their company. <laughs> pit liquor. Pit liquor. That's the uh, right here. We actually have Jeremiah's speechless. So should we call today's show putting whiskey in our armpits, or should we call it pit liquor? I wonder how many guys just follow her around going, there's something about you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well what's interesting is when they were working on the different, you know, uh, combinations of different whiskey, different uh, antimicrobial products and stuff, she says that he would come to her in the middle of the day and go, how does this armpit smell? How does this armpit <laughs> smell? And uh, basically they, you know, did it long enough that they perfected it. They call it research, Ian, which so, is not unlike, well, maybe it is unlike <laughs> what you uh, generally call research. I don't know. But So uh, I'm imagining that the alcohol content of the whiskey is the most important and, and this microbial thing, right? Yes, yes. They couldn't use vodka and, like, save the whiskey? I mean. They actually do use some vodka in the mix, apparently. So. This is like a Long Island iced tea for your armpit. <laughs> which seems even Crazy. more unsettling somehow. So like, um, like is, this, is this our next market plan here? We're going to sit down yes. and figure out cocktails for your, for your armpits? Like, they, oh, I feel like a Manhattan today. You or. know, they started this thing. <laughs> <laughs> they started wearing, this thing with I'm wearing a, a little old-fashioned. Yeah. <laughs> you mean Old Spice? No, I meant old-fashioned. Old-fashioned, yes. They started it with a Kickstarter campaign, raised $20,000. Now it's a totally successful off-the-ground industry. They said the people that you know pledged for the Kickstarter campaign that got some, they said now they're coming back and ordering like four times as more. So obviously they're saying that's more deodorant than they could possibly use. So they're giving it away, and it's become uh, quite a gift item and, and, and stuff. Brilliant. But, but if you want to look them up online, just Google Pit Liquor. Uh, if you spell it L I Q U O R, it might keep you away from some of the websites yeah, that I'm, would I'm qu- be. I'm quite uh, sure that that, that, that that armpit whiskey is not the first thing will pop up if yeah, you spell well, it differently. I'm just saying you might want to do it at home, not at work. That's, is that's all I'm saying. That's liquor with a Q, not with a that's K. That's liquor with yeah, a Q. Yeah, so yeah. now I don't intend that's to liquor put liquor one word. <laughs> I don't intend to put any of this uh, whiskey underneath my arms. It, it like you said. Earlier, Jeremiah, it might come out that way uh, uh, oh, yeah, on the yeah, exit yeah. eventually. Through but osmosis, uh, it will definitely but happen. You brought us uh, two different um, uh, whiskeys here. Tell us, Indeed. tell us what we're looking at. So um, this is uh, two different whiskeys from High West, uh, out of Park City, Utah. Um, very, very, very successful distillery right now. Very much on the forefront. Uh, we've actually talked about this distillery briefly on a couple of shows, and we've talked about how like the, the American bourbon is being so heavily allocated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lots of other whiskey companies are being able to kind of come in and fill some of these cool shoes. Um, High West, oddly enough, as I, as I, as we've talked about that, uh, the Blue Rye, which is a uh, as an, an American blended whiskey, it's a blend of straight bourbon and straight rye. Um, and that is now being allocated. <laughs> no kidding. And you can wow. smell the rye in there. Absolutely. As well. Yeah. And this is a great example, though, of kind of like what I think is going to be kind of a great trend. Um, 
in, in American whiskey is, is in order to sort of use less bourbons, you, you know, you, you blend it. So you're starting to see, like, I believe Smooth Ambler uh, uh, has a uh, one called Contradiction that is also a blend of bourbon and rye, like 50-50. Um, but really, really cool. You get all the round corn notes, all that great vanilla, but you get all that really good spice note on your nose and all those good, like, baking spices. Um, it's just a great, great whiskey. And both of these are exceptional for, for smoking purposes for cigars. Mm -hmm. um, this one, I would say, is a little more versatile than the next one we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I, I really enjoy the, the, I wanna, the High West stuff. I want to point out, first off, that this is a thicker liquid. Uh, it has a, thicker a very liquor. a thicker liquor. Nice. Um, it has a heavier mouthfeel yeah, than I was expecting. Yeah, that I was expecting, and um, but it's delicious. It's incredibly smooth. Yeah. Um, the corn heat that you get a lot of times from rye uh, comes back up. Uh, on the tail end of this, yeah, you get a lot of the corn stuff in the middle, and then I feel like that rye mm -hmm. bitter yes. hits you on the back yeah, of your palate like after yes. you swallow. And uh, it's really interesting because it comes back as a nice kind of warm thing. Like this would be a great thing. It's good in the summer. I bet it's really nice in the winter. Oh, absolutely! And they make some really special winter releases. Uh, the Midwinter Nights Dram is unbelievable, but very, very like allocated. They're limited releases because it's such a small distillery. You just buy them when you see them. So now when you say allocated, what does that mean to the average person who's so looking for So an this? allocation to the average consumer. So the way that Texas works with liquor is it's what's called a three-tier system. So you have uh, supplier, distributor, class B. So the supplier is High West. They sell it to a distributor, which I believe for this one is Republic. Um, it could be Glazers. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, sorry to either of those uh, <laughs> distributors. Um, but and then his it goes previous through. statement will be stricken from the record. That's that's right. And then the uh, and then the last step is the class B. So Tony Case. So an allocation means that that the distillery says, okay, we have this much, so we're going to give this much to this the X regions, and then the distributors say, okay, we have these accounts, and then they sort of kind of delineate, okay, I'm going to give this much to this account, this much to this account, and then you order through your class B and you pick up your allocations. It's very similar to it's exactly the way Pappy Van Winkle is handled. Um, the Weller, the Weller whiskeys now, like so, uh, Blanton's, um, Yamazaki, which is, which is why these can be more difficult to find, right? Yes. Because the allocation and controls it, how much a particular store it, or bar can get their hands. And to the consumer, it also very much affects the in price because if I can only get it once a year, it tends to be more expensive because. The idea is that it'll stay on the shelf longer that way. Like, you know, if, if you want to try it, it... Rather than you get your pappy and it's gone the first week, you've got it exactly. because... Exactly. Gotcha. So, so, in absolute layman terms, they only make so much. By the time it gets to the store, the store themselves, after the restaurants and everyone else uh, get theirs, after their bigger accounts and whoever has spoken for it ahead of time gets theirs, um, the store takes it and either puts it on the shelf... Or puts it behind the counter. Right. And then you walk in and ask. And if they say they don't have it, then they generally don't have it. But sometimes they do. Sometimes if you ask if they have something allocated, like Blanton's or... It has uh, happened. Those kind of things. You, some stores will have it. Yes, we keep a couple bottles back here for certain customers. Those kind of things. Sure. Yeah, that's essentially... And then now... now um, it works that way for the most part. Um, I don't know... Because essentially, like when the, when the store gets there, because every restaurant has to order through a Class B of some kind, whether it be mm -hmm. Goody Goody, Tony K, Specs, 
Um, so a lot of times, like Specs will say, okay, like Specs gets their own allocation, and then they say we're going to keep X bottles for the store, and the rest of these go to the restaurants that order from us. So it's kind of a, you know, and it's it's definitely a case by case basis. You know, if, if you're one of the people that has worked out, you know, your own kind of deal with them, with the distributor, and you know, you can kind of get a bigger allocation. And lucky for you. So. So I was going to ask you that, and and. It's okay if you can't answer this, uh, but but if you can, is part of your job as a guy who's curating the liquor selection uh-huh. at a place here like B&B, is part of your job establishing the kind of relationships that might be able to get you a better... Uh, better input uh, from the allocation, absolutely. Or does that, or or is that not really happen? No, no, absolutely. And and there's a lot of factors that go into that. Like you know, how much do, you, how much you you, you know, you purchase on on an, on a weekly ordering basis. Right. Um, how how big your account is. How, how important how, a customer are you? Exactly. Right. And then if there's I, other if ones. If I open a bar tomorrow. I may not be getting a whole lot of the allocated stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and then it also comes like a lot of people do other things like, uh, you know, Buffalo Trace will do things like with their Wheatley Vodka where in trying to build the Wheatley Vodka brand, they'll do like a mixed six pack. So you'll get five bottles of Wheatley Vodka and the sixth bottle will be some highly allocated spirit. I see. Um, Something I they know you want. probably was not supposed to talk about that one, um, <laughs> that last part. That but last part will be stricken from the record. Also stricken from the record. Um, I, I never, I don't know who said that, but um, but that, you know, I, I'll say allegedly. Rumor has it. Allegedly. Wheatley Vodka is a unique um, flavored vodka, actually. It it's, is. Well, it's, it's not a flavored vodka, but it has a unique flavor It is, to and it. it's, a really, it's a really cool vodka, and it, it carries more cachet, like, you know, it, it whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, it, you know, when somebody orders that or asks about it, you can say, oh, it's the vodka made by Buffalo Trace right. Distilling. Instantaneously, people are like, oh, well, I'd love to try that, you yeah. know? Right. Um, so there, and, there's, you know, cachet. And this is something I've really picked up on from you from the different times that we've had you on the show, that a big part of your job is knowing and understanding what the stories are and communicating that to your staff Absolutely. So they can tell those stories as well. Absolutely. If I don't know that this vodka is the one from Buffalo Trace Distillery, I might not have a reason to try it. But if you tell me that, I go, well, I've had Buffalo Trace. That's awesome. Let's yes. try it. Well, and selling the story is, is, is t- t- to me personally, probably the most important aspect of sales uh, when it comes to spirits. Obviously, if we're talking cocktails... You know, it, it's different because right. like, cocktails have their own sort of history and things like that. But when it comes to just the raw spirit, you know, the story is incredibly important because I, I feel like you get more like, obviously, there's lots and lots and lots of bourbons. So why would I try this one? There's lots and lots and lots of single malt. So what's different about this right. one? Why is you know, this like, one that uh, I should try like next? When, I, when I very first met you guys and we were doing the Whiskeys of the World event, we did the old Pulteney Navigator yeah. at the mm-hmm. B&B's yes. uh, booth. That was a really cool story. The original distillery was only able to be reached by boat. Right. And that's why it was called Navigator, you know, things like that. I mean, those are just cool things. And it's funny that you talk about that because the next whiskey we're going to try. Yes. Is very much part of one of, you know, is one of those styles of whiskeys. This is the High West Campfire. Okay. So this is an American whiskey that has been smoked. Um, so when you think smoke and whiskey, obviously the first thought is peat and scotch. Peat and scotch, yep. So... The master distiller and and uh, the, the the main the main cheese from uh, from High West is in Scotland and he's in Isla, 
And so when you're in Isla, everything is kind of permeated by that pea Everything smoke. smells like pea, doesn't like it? Everywhere yes. you go. And so they stayed at this very charming bed and breakfast, he and his wife. And he talks about how even in the morning they would eat breakfast and the eggs would have this sort of infused, infused like smokiness to, them. smokiness to them. And he just kind of fell in love with it. And it, 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 it's, it's a very nostalgic thing, like fire, you know, you know, camp smoke. And so that was kind of the birth of the High West Campfire, is he wanted a whiskey that like made him have that nostalgia of being around that like smoky, and obviously being in Utah, there's a lot of camping, a lot of outdoorsy stuff, so it, it, and sticking with the cowboy theme. Um, and so, but this is a phenomenal whiskey. And this well, one is great for cigars, although this one's probably a little pickier I think than the Burai. You probably need something a little bigger with this one. So I was about to mention uh, the cigar. The little update on my cigar, the Tabernacle. This thing has picked up in spice and intensity so much, and it's delicious, and it goes great with both of these. But I actually like the smokiness of the whiskey with this. Yeah. Because the cigar that I'm smoking finishes a little on the dry side. It has that little kind of oak dryness to the to Absolutely. the finish, or uh, almost cedar dryness to the finish, whereas this right here has that peaty smoke to it, and really they kind of wrap right around each other in a in a beautiful way. This also has uh, uh, that kind of big oily mouth feel to it Absolutely. as well. well and, and part of that, so that is something that when you start to notice that as we as you try whiskeys on other shows, whether I'm with you or not, is uh, that's a big part of that is whether it's chill filtered or not. So chill filtration is when you distill a whiskey, you you cool it and you skim it, kind of the same way you would do with a stock to mm-hmm. remove right. fat. So you cool the whiskey and you pull out the uh, fat solids and oil solids uh, and a lot of what are called congeners. Um, for example, in vodka, a congener is an impurity and it's a negative. In whiskey, a congener can be a flavor component and very right. much a positive. But the big part for me in non-chill filtered whiskeys um, is that oily mouthfeel because it leaves all those fats and oils to coat your tongue. It makes for a longer finish. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. It makes that. for like a, a more deep kind of mouth experience. Um, and then, you know, the other part of it is is like uh, I wish in, in the modern day and age we could get, kind of get rid of chill filtration because it's kind of a dead thing. The reason that whiskey started being chill filtered was really more cosmetic. Because the whiskey would sit on the shelf, exactly, and it would get kind of cloudy, and people would assume it goes bad. And it's like, okay, wait. This this sat in a barrel in a barn for nine years out in nature, (laughs) and now that it's been sterilely put in a bottle and is hermetically sealed in that bottle, I promise it doesn't go bad. But at the same time, there's a huge trend in higher proof uh, whiskeys as well, too. Yeah, anything above 46 over. Right, which means when you put that that whiskey on the shelf at 46 and above, it is clear because a lot of times the the alcohol amount... um, it, it, for whatever reason, clears up the uh, cloudiness in it. Yeah, and in modern whiskey... You can whiskey, probably explain that better than I yeah, it, Well, it, it, it's the suspension. So the alcohol percentage, the higher the alcohol percentage is, the easier, easier it is for the oil solids to stay in suspension in a homo- homogeneous mixture. Um, That's what I was just saying, actually. Yes. And so, uh, it so sounded that's very it, much like what you it, said. It, 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 it's, I could tell it's what you were kind of... Yeah. <laughs> go ahead, keep um, going. But it, uh, and so it'll stay clearer. But... In this day and age, you're absolutely correct. Most of your, especially like your smaller, more boutique whiskeys, mm-hmm. are going higher proof. They're doing single barrel releases, bottle and bond releases, which have to come at 100. So it's a lot of this is, it was developed before that, but it's also still used in a lot of your more um, uh, tame bourbons. 
You know, like your basal Hayden that only comes in at 40%. And so at 40%, you kind of have to chill filter it if you want it to be able to stay and keep that clarity. Yeah. And so it's just kind of one of those, like, it's a happenstance of chemistry. Now, is there a reason, um, is there a reason 40% was, or is the industry standard for uh, whiskey? I mean, I've always wanted that because when we talk about higher proof, 40% is, um, uh, is generally the, uh, the, Accepted. It's what most of the yeah. whiskeys on the shelf are going to come. That's what and you most go buy other your spirits too, like most of right. your vodkas, gins, right. rums. Most of those are going to come in unless it's an aged or overproof. I'm sorry, rum. not percent, but proof. It, yeah, no, forty no, percent. Sorry, so proof is the double of the number. So uh, yeah, I just was wondering, is there any kind of reason for that? I I know that. Um, like somebody I, I, arrived at that absolutely, at some point and I and I, I, and I can I can definitely I'll find that answer for the next time I, I'm on. That'd be an um, interesting because I I know for uh, it has to be something because for bottled and bond whiskeys, it has to be at a hundred, like so it's got to be fifty percent right. alcohol by volume, and that's like an, and an actually a government law. For now, does it have to be bond. at least, or does it have to be exact? Exact. Okay, got one hundred percent, one hundred proof, stored in, it, and it's, it's stored and maintained in government warehouses. Uh, bottled and bond kind of happened to sort of control like a bunch of the weird rock cut, like make you go blind stuff that was coming out. Right. <laughs> and so when they decided to do bottled and bond, it was a way to maintain the quality and safety in the in, 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 in its beginnings. And now it's one of those things where. It's kind of become like a badge of honor right. for some of the guys that still do yeah. it, like you know, Mellow Corn, uh, Rittenhouse Rye, yeah. you know. So it's it's kind of become this like this like you know sort of. It's uh, kind of like a, a in beer. It's kind of like the Reinheitsgebot. Like yeah. this is a set of rules that's laid down. This is a tradition. Yeah. And there's four ingredients. That's it. It was made right. this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. It's very much that. But I don't really know how the sort of magic number of forty. Uh, probably became it, the commercial. Yeah, well, and I would thing. have to imagine it had something to do with like dealing with it between like becoming be, being considered a liquor versus a lick a, a, a true spirit. Right. Because the cures come in at thirty, yeah. you know, thirty percent usually or lower. Right. Um, and then you have weird guys that come in the middle, like you have like aromatized wines that are like twenty two percent. So they're not really like a regular table wine, but they're not quite in a in a cordial right. category yet, and they're certainly not a, like a, a spirit, um, you know, like Lille Blanc or right. you know, some of the some mm-hmm. of the Amaros that, that are so popular right, right. now, like Chinar. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'll find that out. I'll, I'll do some homework on that one. I just want to mention that, um, and this is this is great support for your concept, Ian, of the whiskey sniff, because I would have said that with this particular cigar, the Chupacabra, I would have said. After I tasted the first one, I would have said, well, there's no way the other one's going to be better with the cigar than this one is. <laughs> and lo and behold, it is. And uh, and even based on the way you were describing them, I wouldn't have guessed that that would be the case because you said it was, you know, maybe this uh, the campfire is a little, a little uh, pickier. But there's just something about the smokiness of that and the exact f- uh, oh, yeah. power of this particular cigar that just marry perfectly. It is, it is the perfect amount of smoke in the whiskey. I, I want to uh, ask really you. It's nice. It's not as obvious on the front of the palate, yeah. but towards the end of the palate, that smokiness just comes right back. And, and it really gets you in the nose, mm-hmm. you know, but it's not the a heavy. Yeah, it's, it. it's not a heavy parts per million, though. So, um, and, and, it, and it's not, it's not, 
peat smoke, so it doesn't necessarily carry that same exact pungent smoke. But mm -hmm. the thing about this one, I, it just, I love, like, and I, I know I said it before, I'm going to kill this word, but I love the nostalgic feel of it. Mm -hmm. It just kind of reminds me of like, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're on that camping trip with your grandpa and you're fishing and he sneaks you that little nip of whiskey <laughs> by the campfire and... You know, Campfire your, your is a smell like it. I love that they called this uh, that because I have described certain cigars as having some of that campfire and uh, and and whiskeys and things like that having straw or like hay and sometimes like burnt absolutely uh, straw. This uh, or this wet straw, me, wet hay. Yeah, there I you wonder go. how this would pair with something like one of those Drew Estate Kentucky Fire cured uh, cigars that has that campfire. Aroma to the cigar Challenge itself. Except that I have a couple of those in my humidor. Well, I believe I have a couple as well, sir. We just need to set we'll a day and a time. Yes. I was about to say, so maybe a month from today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that could work. Okay, when we come back uh, in our final segment, I want to talk some more about these whiskeys because I don't, I don't think we've, we've really laid out the full uh, flavor profile of them the way that I would like to. That we're not caught up in the stories. Yes, I, I, but I would like to ask you your take on the American whiskey scene right now, which is all over the place. And I want to I want to know what you think about that, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing or, or whether it's heading to a good thing. We'll talk about all of that when we come back. Plus, Young's Double Chocolate oh, Stout. Love. When Dessert. we return, you are listening to Smoking and Toasting. Welcome back. It's Smoking and Toasting. It's show number 91. By the way, I noticed, you know, it's actually very pleasant here, but I have a tendency to sweat easily. And I was noticing... A little, uh, See, a little wetness under, there. under the arm. So I'm wondering, we should put a little whiskey. If on I it. should put a little whiskey there, but I, I just hate for any of this to go anywhere besides on my tongue. Agreed. But, yeah, Agreed. Sorry. That's uh, uh, Jeremiah Butler is here. We're at B and B uh, Butchers and Restaurant in uh, Houston. We're live here today, and uh, this obviously is one of our favorite places to be. It's a beautiful day, actually. A little warm, but the breezes from all the, the ceiling fans and stuff well, make and it the, very The tolerable. wind is actually quite... It's much yeah. more pleasant than I expected. Yeah. Walking yeah. in at 2 o'clock with a suit, I was kind of yeah. like... <laughs> we <were laughs> my teeth, being like, we all right, we're going to deal with this. Like, I got this. Uh, but, uh, but this is... Um, this High West... Uh, tell me again the two iterations of this that we're So enjoying. the two marks that we have. So we have one that is called the Burai, which Burai. is a blend of uh, bourbon and rye. Like straight bourbon, straight rye. Now, it's different from because um, I can already see some people asking questions like, "Well, wait a minute, like, how's that different from like a high rye bourbon?" Mm -hmm. Well, so the difference here would be these are actually two separately made whiskeys that are blended, blended, as okay. opposed to saying I'm going to put rye in the mash bill of the bourbon, right? Which would be like a high right. rye. Gotcha. Um, so, and then uh, or or you know the kind of the opposite of a weeded. So like. One of those differences between the high rye and the weeded is going to be the spice versus the round. So in a high rye bourbon, it's going to have more of that spicy eugenol baking on the nose. Uh, and then you're going to have more of the, in a weeded bourbon, you're going to have more of the vanilla notes. So more of the mm -hmm. honey, caramel, that kind of thing. <clears throat> and they play very well together, which is why you can get away with rye or weeded bourbon, and they're all fantastic. I think blended, uh, blended whiskey as a term is becoming way less looked down upon as yeah. it once was because a lot well, of people would say oh i only like the single malt or only <laughs> like uh so like, but blending whiskeys is such an interesting um process can you imagine the variables that go in um you end up with this and this and you have to create the same flavor profile 
yeah. every time. I, uh, I spent a couple hours with Drew Mayville, um, who was the master blender for um, Seagram's for a while. He's now the master blender for Buffalo Trace. Um, he makes Legacy, which we did mm-hmm. on one of the shows. Oh, that was fantastic. Um, uh, we had Brett, who at the time was uh, mm-hmm. was there. He's since moved on. He's in, still representing them, but he's in New Orleans now. Um, but no, you're absolutely correct. I mean, blended scotch still probably is having the hardest time getting over it. But they're kind of circumnavigating that by blending malts now as opposed to just blending scotches. So you've right, got like monkey right. shoulder, <clears throat> things like that, which mm-hmm. kind of have less which of a stigma fantastic. because... Yeah. You know, it's hard to it's hard to ignore a blend of, you know, Glenfiddich, Balvini, and Ken Envy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you you, you kind of catch my ear with I that. I wouldn't ignore so, it. Yeah. Um, but so and and but like blended American is very very much, um, one of the two like like the two trends that you're seeing because bourbon is bourbon and it's kind of like what what you talked about like exiting the segment like one of the biggest trends in American whiskey right now is this sort of quote unquote bourbon drought. Um, and definitely some of the guys from the Houston Bourbon Society can tell you even more about it. Um, you know, some of those guys are like... I don't know. It can be hard to get Chris Hart to talk about bourbon. Yeah, it's, well, you, you know, know, I'm sure... Sometimes you have to really twist his arm on it. Work to get on him it. to go there. Whiskey bath. Still mm. proud of myself. <laughs> um, but uh, I, one of the good things, and, and I, it, it's kind of cool that we're getting into it with some more details that we talked about very briefly before was that... I think that this this bourbon shortage is good for American whiskey. Okay, and why is that? Um, because you you have other other people making whiskeys, and people are becoming it pushes creativity. Absolutely, and 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 people are less afraid to kind of branch out because the, you know bourbons are already getting boutiquey, and so for example, like I said, like Smooth Ambler and some of these others, you know, like High West. Okay, so if I have if I have the same amount of bourbon. And there's a higher demand for it. How do I stretch this bourbon farther and still get my whiskey out to people and still do creative, cool, limited marks? Well, you blend it. Mm-hmm. You put less bourbon out as, a, as just straight bourbon, which is why, like, the Weller collections and all that, obviously, they're not going to go that direction. They're just going to allocate what they allocate. You get right. what you get. And I totally respect that. Uh, I do wish that it hadn't got caught up with Weller 12 because my, yeah. my cheap go-to 12-year weeded bourbon has now become like a thing um you know it's so like when somebody discovers that band uh, that you were the only person that really knew them and now they're like super popular it's like yeah. oh man do i still like them as much as i used to <laughs> everybody knows about them that's a true story uh, now but, uh but let me ask you this when mm-hmm. when blending is being done for uh, a blended whiskey do all distilleries do that at the same point in the process or do some of them blend it and then age it do some of them age it for a while then blend or then maybe even age again does that ever happen there are definitely both um there are aged then blended mm-hmm. um there are aged blended re-aged um a lot of what i i and and again i'm not a thousand percent sure i don't work at a distillery but i, I believe a lot of what what the way that that's selected um, as some of it is labeling because there's a lot of rules uh, when it comes to sp- right. especially to bourbon with your label. Um, for example, like if you age it less than four years, because the, the law says 51% corn, minimum two years, heavily charred, never used American oak barrels, right? So, but if you age for less than four, even though the required minimum is only two, you must put the amount on the label. 
So a lot of bourbons go a minimum of four years because they don't want to have to put any age on the label. They don't have to put age for three years. Not two year old or thirty six months in oak. You know that kind of thing. Like, um, and some now some distilleries don't mind that because of their technique. Like the Hudson Distillery, they do smaller barrels, so there's much more wood content or contact to the contents of the barrel, and so theoretically you're aging it faster because more of the juice is touching the oak. Mm-hmm. So in a big barrel, that's why they rack them and roll them and move them and all that. Quick aside, by the way, I saw on your uh, list, on your uh, whiskey list, that you have the Hudson Four Grain, the B&B edition. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not what we tried the last time we were on here. That was the regular Four Grain, and then you were going yes. to Hudson. Yes, to yes. To yes. So what I have now is actually is, is out of the barrel. The barrel's actually hanging in the bar. I think we have to try that. Yeah, yeah, okay. We can make that happen. <laughs> I've got a little bit of it. Not today. There will, yeah. there will be today, time after the show. Yeah, I, I, I got. I got like maybe I don't know a couple bottles, like 156. <laughs> will you? Uh, will you do that again? Uh, uh, yeah, I believe Hudson? this year we are going back to uh, um, do a rye barrel this year. So the barrel I'm going to pick out this year will be uh, 100% rye. So that'll be really really cool. Um, I myself am a huge rye drinker. Um, I love like the spicy spiciness of it, um, especially like. When, when you go through bourbon, like a bourbon phase, because like, I feel like for me it's kind of cyclic. Yeah. Um, the only constant for me would be very heavily peated single malts. Like that's pretty much how I end a night of whiskey. If I've had a couple and a cigar and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to have one more and call it a night. It's almost always going to be, you know, a Lagavulin or like that's a Lafroy yeah. Kerchus. Uh, in a weird thing, I generally like the more peaty and smoky scotches in the wintertime. And then in summer, I like the more fruity and lighter yeah? flavor. Yeah, oh, that's absolutely. I, for whatever reason, it just goes that. Same thing with, with like I smoke pipes as well. Sure. I generally will smoke pipes in the winter, not necessarily in the summer as much. Oh. Now, do you, when you drink, do you drink your whiskey neat year-round? Do you rocks at any point? I like, am usually a rock in my whiskey because I like to try it neat. And then I like the flavors as they go from cold and then the water uh, yeah. diluting it. And I get, because you get a whole ride. You taste it neat. Then you get it cold and you get those brighter flavors. And then as it warms up in your hand... And that water dilutes it. You get the that add a little water flavor to it. And yeah, you get, that, that's so you get you get a whole experience rather than just having. Absolutely, to that's me the, that works. That's it exactly works the time. journey that I because I've had Love a lot of people that. that are surprised that as a whiskey aficionado such as myself, like, oh, I can't believe you just dumped a handful of ice cubes in it. I'm like, well, number one, no, that whiskey delicious. is 132 proof. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I like to, you know, I, we drink big boy whiskey at my mm-hmm. house. Grown up whiskey. Um, <laughs> and, but the other part of it, you know, I like a little of that dilution, but it's also what you're talking about. It's, it's that journey. Yeah. It's, I, and I like it to be cold, but I like the dilution journey of it as well. Um, and then, because for me, you know, you go, you, you pour it neat, you throw a couple cubes in it, you take that first sip while it's still warm, and then you go through that process. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, I, and, and I do it year-round, whether it's winter or summer, and I even prefer in my single malts or my overproofs, I prefer the small cubes. Now, in a cocktail, I tend to do a big cube because right. I want the cocktail to continue with its flavor. I don't necessarily right. want that dilution. Right. But in a, in a straight spirit, I'm kind of looking for that diluted experience a little bit. And it, it, that's the only way I drink water when I'm drinking whiskey. I'll point so. out, one of my favorite flavor <laughs> rides whiskey-wise is uh, the Macallan Fine Oak 17. Because the first flavors on it are so... They have so much chocolate and dark fruit flavors and things. You add the... Um, you add the uh, uh, rocks to it, and as it gets cold, you end up with almost 
apple Absolutely. kind of flavor. Absolutely apple And notes. then as it dilutes, you get like uh, uh, like the vanilla and floral flavors coming through. It's a huge ride. It's it's so different from beginning to end. And then you, you get to start over on the next glass. Absolutely. And, it's, and, and, you know, a glass of it, and I'm talking about just, you know, a, a two-ounce pour. Sure. And we're not talking about, you know, slamming a bunch back, but a glass of it may last 40 minutes, you yeah. know? Just because you're enjoying that ride so much. You know, I like when we do whiskey shows because Ian always has a lot to say about whiskey, which leaves me more drinking time. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, some shows, maybe I'm doing most of the talking, and so... Those are called I the look, IPA shows. Yeah, <laughs> I, like, I look, I, I, I'm not getting to taste my IPA, because uh, <laughs> meanwhile, Ian's like half a beer down. Um, so, real quick, before we before we do some uh, beer, the Young's Double Chocolate Stout oh, thank as you. our Delicious. dessert here for the show... Um, there's crazy, what I would describe at least as crazy trends now in American whiskey distilling. People being very experimental, Absolutely. trying things that really I don't think have ever been tried before in whiskey. Just real quick, what's your what's your take on that? Like, are you are you encouraged by it? Do you think some people are just just trying too hard to be different, or are there really good things happening in some of that? Uh, uh, in some I, mean, of I definitely think there are good things happening. I mean, I, I, as always, like I, I think that in, in any industry, you have to have you have to have a balance of like new and traditional, right? You know, like in Scotch, for example, right? Like, there's always going to be Balvenie, which is kind of the most right. handcrafted. I mean, like like the which Coopers, the Coopers, and the the Coppersmiths and the blenders that I met. I mean, these guys have worked for Balvenie for 56, 52, 53 years. You know, they're very much about the tradition. They're very much about this is Heritage, you know how we yes. do it. We do not budge, and that's great. There's a couple bourbons that are like that as well, but I think within that, you know, there's also room for differences. Like in the Scotch world, you have um, you know like Compass Box. Or, or um, uh, there's an Italian company uh, starts with an S, and all they do is source Scotch barrels and blend them, and it's a very contemporary thing that they're doing. And a lot of times they're they're not even putting age statements on certain ones of them. Right, I've um, seen that more. It's and more. all about like the finishes or the blends. Like Glen Morangie is one of the more established houses that sort of jumped on that early, and they started taking age statements off of their single malts and naming it after their finishes. You know, like right. you had like. I believe it was the Tata that was like the Maris Otter floor malt, uh, the Mm -hmm. Companta, which was like the Madeira, you know, finish, things like that. And there's they they took the age statements off, and the La Santa is one that stays on my shelf. La Santa is great, always. Mm -hmm. Yeah, La Santa. I I, I love the Nectar Dior, the the, the Sauternes finish. Um, But no, so I think it's great. Like you know, um, even within um, some of the more like domestic categories, uh, you know, Orphan Barrel. So Orban Barrel, and they have some age statement whiskeys. They have some non, but they don't distill any of their own juice. They just buy these barrels. Hence, the, I mean, that's how they, they came up with yeah, the name Orban Barrel. Barrel. Yeah. And they blend it. Like the one I have right now, the Entrapment. I saw that on the uh, 25-year blended Canadian. Um, and it's fantastic. But it's also, well, and unfortunately, guys, like if you want to come and have some, you have to come now because I only got like half a bottle, and after that, it's gone. <laughs> well, what um, also he just said is blended and Canadian is not a bad thing all the time. Uh, no. And, well, legacy, blended and Canadian. I mean, that is Drew Mabel. I mean, if, if Buffalo Trace is making a blended Canadian, I mean, obviously, there's some things going on in that category. Yeah. Right. You know, you if, if, it, if right. William Grant, as a company, is buying a Canadian whiskey distillery in Gibson's 12 year. There's obviously something going on right. in the category, and a big part of that is. Oh, go ahead. Uh, is 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 in the blending world? Um, it's about having stores of whiskey. 
And so Buffalo Traces warehouses up in Canada, I mean, you're talking 400-something thousand barrels. So being able to blend whiskey, a big part of it is having whiskey to blend. Mm, that sounds so good. Now, this is one of those cans that has the little aeration device the widget. in it. Yes, the widget. Uh, this is Young's Double Chocolate Stout. I'm going to pass that over to Adam so he can uh, oh, uh, pour for us. But, A perennial uh, favorite. This will be, uh, yeah, you know, this is one of those that, as familiar as many stout fans may be with it, we've actually never tasted this on the show. So I thought it was high time I that we corrected that. I love this, uh, but omission. I'm going to look surprised when I try it. I do want to okay. um, give an update on my cigar. Yes. Which, by the way, is a delicious cigar. And I'm be. enjoying it so much. That I'm just about burning my fingers with it and still smoking it. This cigar has gone well with everything we've had, and I can't wait to try it with the uh, uh, double chocolate stout. Although we better hurry, or my fingers are going to burn. Now I I know you didn't like it as much with the Sierra Nevada uh, Otravez that we started out with. I wanted to point out that uh, during one of the breaks, I was looking at the can. This was the first beer we sampled, and realized that I didn't I didn't share this because I didn't notice it until just now. But it is a Goza style ale, which kind of explains salty. a little bit of that salty, fizziness right? and, and the I sour like salty generally. Yes. yes, but I think I decided on that one. I want that one with food. With food. Well, yes. I tend to think most goes are food beers. Oh man, this is like I, I feel like I just smelled a chocolate milkshake. Just uh, just getting the first nose of this. Oh my goodness. Mm. Mm-mm. First okay. off, this is a standard. Um, this has been out for years upon years upon years. And this, oddly enough, was introduced to me by my father. My father passed in 2008. And uh, we got along so well when it came to bigger beers. He loved beers with big flavor. Yes. And whenever he went out, and this was in the early days of me even figuring out beers, he would go out and buy all kinds of different ones. If it looked interesting, he would buy it. And I remember him bringing home the Young Stout, uh, a few the oatmeal stouts, the uh, the double chocolate stout, and 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 trying beers with him. So this one brings me way back. I've had this before, oh, yeah. and it is absolutely amazing. What's interesting to me is that the chocolate is very much, as much as you get it on the nose, you really don't get that chocolate flavor until the finish when you drink it. Up front, it's very much just more of a straight ahead stout almost like a almost like a Guinness kind of a, a flavor in the very beginning it's, it's got the but nitro then, bubbles yeah. which gives it that mouth feel yeah. that real creamy you, mouth feel. You, you talk about kind of how it takes you back because like like when you're telling that story it makes me think of when I tried this so uh, I used to live in South Austin near a store called the Whippin oh yeah very we famous very yes. famous beer store um, and they would you were, it was one of the places that pioneered like the mix six-pack and my roommate at the time <clears throat> I was Let's say I was just barely 21. I don't even think I was 21 yet. And my roommate would go and he would buy these. That will be stricken from the record. Yeah, he will <laughs> buy these. Uh, there's a statute of limitations, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but there was this, you know, he would buy these mixed six packs and he would always bring these really interesting, you know, crazy beers that like, you know, somebody like me, like, you know, come from like like the small towns, you know, of Washington and Texas. You know, I, I didn't have a concept of what craft beer was anyway. And I remember the, one of the first ones that I really like took note of and was like like bought when I could go and buy nicer beer was this one. 